0: My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an associate professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss podcast, we listen to an interview of me on the Nick Taliaferro Show on WURD Radio in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In this interview, we discuss how often sworn law enforcement officers are convicted for murder or manslaughter resulting from on-duty shootings where they have shot and killed someone.
1: Last year 1200 plus people were killed by police officers as they handled the business of maintaining law and order in the United States of America. How many of those police officers were brought up on charges? Of those how many of them were convicted? An article has come out recently that suggests none of them were convicted joining us on the line now is a gentleman who spoke with us last when we talked about criminal justice issues as it involved what went on in South Carolina with a young girl Dr. Philip Stinson associate professor in the criminal justice department at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green Ohio Dr. Stinson thank you for joining us and welcome back to your uh, your home away from home
2: Thanks, Nick. As always,
1: it's my pleasure. Pleasure is ours, sir. And we thank you for all that you're doing to keep us informed. Uh, the, the, the issue of police officers shooting people, I, I, I put it out there and asked, how many folks were killed by police officers last year? My producer said about 300. People are stunned when they discover how many people are actually killed on an annual basis by police officers. How many, how long have they been keeping statistics on this from your recollection? Uh, it
2: depends who they are. You know, the Justice Department hasn't really done anything in this area ever. The, certainly, James wow. Comey, the FBI director, is is interested in it now. The Center for Disease Control has some statistics that have given us some indication that between 1,000 and 1,100 times a year, police officers shoot and kill someone with a firearm. So your number of 1,200 is right on the money because some of those shootings or uh, some of those uh, instances where people are killed, they, they aren't all shootings, but most of them are. Right. So the best estimate that we have is 1,000 to 1,100 times a year. As you know, there are some groups, some media groups, and and a few others that have been trying to track this over the last year for 2015, and it looks like about 1,000 people in 2015 were shot and killed by on-duty police officers. In fact, you know something that's really interesting is something that troubles me a lot that we don't have time to talk about tonight, but that the shootings that officers are involved in when they're off-duty is something that really is understudied and, and something that we don't think about, but we really ought to Y- come you're back right. And talk about some time of those. A thousand or so times a year, most of those shootings are found to be legally justified, and the officers don't face criminal charges.
1: Wow! Uh, you, you know, and, and, and as, you, as you were talking about shooting, I was thinking that one of the biggest ca- bigger cases last year was that of Freddie Gray, which did not involve a shooting. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, we we undercount many of those things. Um, you had made mention in this article that that typically you can expect about twenty percent of police officers who are involved in uh, an altercation with a citizen that ends in the death of that citizen. Typically, about 20% of them are convicted. What kind of convictions are we talking about there?
2: If we look at those numbers, let's just break it down. We have uh, That's from my database, and we have, uh, since the beginning of 2005, I've tracked uh, arrests of police officers across the country for, for all sorts of crimes. And we have between 1,000 and 1,200 times a year, a law enforcement officer in this country gets arrested for some sort of crime. And if we look at... Just the officers who are criminally charged with shooting and killing somebody—in other words, those few crimes that are found to be shootings that are found to be not legally justified or unjustified—over the last 11 years, there have only been 65 officers across the country who have been charged with murder or manslaughter after they shot and killed someone while on duty. But of those 65, I, I mean, just a second—I just want to pump.
1: The, can you pump the break for me for just a minute? I want to make sure that that landed because it hit me, and I had to confront myself. Did you say over the last 11? years only 65
2: yeah exactly my if we break it down last year there were 18 officers charged and remember i said 11 years of data so if we take the previous decade which is the year 2005 through the end of 2014 47 officers across the country were charged during that decade so an average of 4.7 just a little bit under five officers a year charged with murder or manslaughter after having shot and killed someone while on duty so last year we have 18 so the numbers way up but you know as as you know Nick we've talked about this before that I deal with outliers you know we deal with very small samples here so I don't know that that's a statistically significant change the difference between actually in uh 2014 there were 6 officers charged in uh, 4 the year before that and in 2012 five so it goes up and down a little bit but the number 18 you know it's up but we don't really know what that means yet we need to look at more data we need to have several more years of data so the officers that are charged, as you mentioned, it's, it's actually exactly 20% of the officers over the last, it's actually, what, 11 years and almost two weeks, because we're now into January. Of those 65 officers, only 13, which is exactly 20%, have been convicted. But it is worth pointing out that of those 65 officers, we've got 13 who are convicted, 26 who were not convicted for some reason, and that's 40% exactly. But we've got 26 officers whose criminal cases are still pending, and that's a another 40%. So there's a lot of these cases that haven't worked their way through the criminal justice system yet. We really don't know how those are going to turn out. I can predict how most of those will turn out, and that's that the officers will probably not be convicted, It's you know, about 20% will be convicted. And there's a variety of reasons uh, for that.
1: We're speaking with Dr. Philip Stenson, who is an expert in the area of criminal justice. He teaches at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. And we're talking about police officers being charged and convicted or charged and not convicted in connection with the death of civilians as they are going about the carrying on and the carrying out of their duties as officers of the law. Um, One of the reasons the article says, That many of these police officers aren't convicted is because there's a different standard for police officers. Uh, The landmark decision of Graham versus Connor back in 1989 cautions the court from um, using a a harsh view uh, or harsh review of the actions of police officers. Does that give an unfair advantage or create an unfair imbalance when it comes to adjudicating whether or not a police officer is guilty?
2: Well, Graham v. Connor was actually uh, a second case that clarified some issues that were raised and not really dealt with by the U.S. Supreme Court four years earlier in the case of Tennessee v. Garner. So in Tennessee v. Garner, we have 14-year-old Edward Gardner, who is you know a suspect in a burglary and is, is chased into a backyard by a police officer, jumps up onto a fence, and is shot by a police officer, shot and killed, shot in the back. A uh, young African-American, 14-year-old, shot in the back by a police officer who was just trying to keep the kid from getting away. And there was no suggestion that he had a gun or he had any ability to uh, inflict uh, you know, serious bodily injury. Please the tell officers.
1: me that that police officer was convicted.
2: I don't think he was convicted because I don't think he was charged. What happened was his father, on behalf of the young man's estate, filed a, a federal lawsuit and ultimately... The state became a party to it, and, and I believe the, the city of, uh, I think it was Memphis, and it was a civil rights lawsuit, and they brought that lawsuit. And that's what ended up before the U.S. Supreme Court, and what the U.S. Supreme Court said in Tennessee versus Garner, that an officer is justified in using deadly force if they reasonably believe there's an imminent threat of serious bodily injury or death being imposed against the officer or somebody else. But the problem was with that, they did not explain what reasonable belief was. Was it an officer on the scene who they thought something uh, you know was one way but in fact wasn't that way at all. What the court said in Graham versus Connor was that it's an objective officer standard. In other words, what would an objective hmm. police officer on the scene, yeah. what would a reasonable police officer in that situation have done?
1: Sort of so, like an extrapolation of the reasonable man. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there are criticisms of that. Is, is do we need to tighten that standard up? Do we need to throw something on top of that? Not only were they justified, but that it was necessary. Does that change things? If we say you, you have to, it has to also be necessary. I don't know.
1: Uh, in, and, and, and Lord knows neither do I. We, we're going through something right now in this country where almost as a counter to the Black Lives Matter movement is the Blue Lives Matter movement. And of course, we know that they do. And the courts reflect the fact that they do. But just listening to what you said about this 14-year-old kid climbing a fence who was shot in the back reminds us that at times the court is not so willing to recognize that Black Lives Matter. But just looking at the Blue Lives Matter movement, are we at a point where uh, it has become So oppositional and that that folks believe that to be fair and adjudicate police officers fairly uh, are some people believing that there's that you can't really be fair when you have to side with police officers or we'll just descend into anarchy and chaos.
2: No, no. what worries me, though, is I have friends who, who – you know, I, I haven't lived the same experiences as some of my colleagues who are African-American. I'm okay. not an African-American. But it's interesting because what I've come to realize is that it's very difficult for some people – to separate out their whole life experiences from a recent incident. So if an officer has shot and killed somebody, let's say Michael Slager getting out on bail last week in South Carolina who, who shot a man, you know, shot him in the back yep. uh, and then planted evidence and, and he's been in jail uh, without bail for the last eight months and, and a lot of my friends and colleagues were really upset about this saying he shouldn't have gotten bail and I said, well, are you saying he shouldn't be entitled to bail? That, that, that he should not have that entitlement that anybody else has? And what I wasn't Really thinking about was they coming at it from the perspective of well wait a minute I sure wouldn't have gotten bail if it had been me um, and the people of color often don't get the same bail opportunities and I just mm-hmm. don't think about those things so it's very difficult and we've talked about this before Nick that it's very difficult to separate out your own experiences it's very difficult to take race out of the equation but one thing that's important here is to is to remember when when the courts look at this when juries look at this. Uh, in fact, if we step back and even say when investigators right after something happens and prosecutors, when they look at things, they start with the assumption when an officer shoots and kills somebody on duty, the first question they ask is, well, was this justified? If you or I killed somebody, the first assumption they'd come up with was you or I just murdered somebody. So it's a whole different way.
1: We a whole different perspective duty. of the approach. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's always fascinating speaking with you. I'm hoping you can give us a few extra moments when speaking with Dr. Philip Stinson. He joins us out of Bowlingstown. Green Ohio where he is a professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University and we're talking about police shootings and people who die at the hands of police and how many of them are and are not convicted in courts of law let's get right back to our conversation with Dr. Philip Stinson of Bowling Green State University he's an expert in criminal justice he teaches there about criminal justice and we welcome him back to the conversation thank you for staying with us Dr. Stinson
2: oh I enjoy it thank you uh,
1: for those of you who might wish to ask some questions this, this 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 is pivotal, completely pivotal, uh, this conversation about uh, justice when it comes to individuals operating under the color of law. Last year, over 1,200 people were killed uh, in their connection with law enforcement officers. Uh, But last year, no police officers were convicted of any crimes when it comes to the loss of life of individuals who are under the authority of officers of the law. Uh, Let's get back to our our conversation. I'm, I'm I'm really shocked about some of the cases, uh, that, that, that I see that appear to be a slam dunk, that something went desperately wrong and that the police officer should face the music. Um, uh, are we at least seeing a trend with cameras uh, plenty where everybody now is a journalist because of their their cell phone cameras and where you have all of these cameras that are stationed around our cities and our, our towns and our hamlets? Are we at least reaching a point now where more police officers are seeing charges being brought to bear upon them?
2: think so uh you know when we look at those 65 cases and 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 even before last year when we're studying these issues and thinking about these cases what is it about these cases that are different than the cases where officers are not criminally charged with murder or manslaughter for shooting and killing somebody and we see several commonalities we see several factors that show up time and time again sometimes there's a cover-up that's alleged Uh, sometimes they shoot an unarmed victim right Sometimes they shoot somebody in the back, uh, and that should not ever happen no young black male should be shot in the back after Tennessee versus Garner. Uh, You know, that case was really supposed to stop this, and it's not stopping it. We see officers who give false statements, false reports. We've seen that in several cases in the last year. And sometimes when they're charged, it's because other officers come forward and they testify against the officer or they act as the reasonable officer, the reasonable person, if you will. They tell supervisors, they tell investigators, you know, I just don't see it. I don't see it. There was no need to shoot. I don't Mm -hmm. think it was justified and that plays a role. And then we've got cameras, as you mentioned. We've got dash cam videos on police cruisers. We've got body cams, the body-worn cameras that are becoming prevalent in many places. We've got surveillance videos, which actually played a part in the the Freddie Gray case, and those officers being charged because their story about how they drove, where they drove from right, to the police right. station didn't match up, and it showed on surveillance. And then we've got smartphones. Everybody's a videographer now. And When we look back at these cases from the last year, the 18 cases, by my count, at least 11 of those 18 involved video. More than half of them involved video. So, in fact, if we were to subtract away the cases that involved video, it looks more like what we've seen over the decade prior to that in terms of number of cases a year. What video is doing is changing the narrative because in the past, the police officers have owned the narrative. When a police officer makes a statement and writes a report and another officer backs him up and says, this is what happened, there's no way to contest that unless you've got forensic evidence that can call that into question. There's no other side to the story that's ever told. And what's happened is we're pushing back now and that they no longer, longer own the narrative. And remember, Hmm. I'm not anti-policing, but I think this is an important point, that the more I think about it over the last year, the more I'm convinced that the videos are important. Now, that being said, people have to be smart. They have to be careful and not put themselves into the middle of dangerous situations and interfere with what law enforcement's doing. These videos have proven to be so important. And by the way, even with the videos, I don't think it's going to change the percentage of these cases that result in convictions, because Once the jurors get behind the closed doors of a deliberation room, they're just not willing to second-guess the split-second life-or-death decisions that police officers make in violent street encounters. So I'm not sure it's going to change that much in and of itself, but it is so important that we think a lot about these videos and we make sure that more police work is captured on video. One thing that does trouble me is I've seen several instances in the last few months where body cams, in other words, the body-worn cameras officers are wearing the officers have made claims that there were malfunctions that the audio didn't work or that the batteries were inserted wrong And I've got to believe that it's happening so much. These are not stupid people. They manage to put their equipment on every day and and never having equipment malfunctions. I've got to believe that there's some tampering going on in some places with officers and that equipment.
1: Wow. I mean, it it really... See, the thing is, is that some of the material that I read and I am a a student of the work of Dr. James Gilligan, one of the leading causes of violence is the perception of ongoing injustice. If, If I have... If I'm of the impression that I will not be treated fairly or justly, then I'm going to become more desperate in my actions. And if you're saying to me, uh, Dr. Stenson, that even with the presence of video evidence, as we we've had and from Rodney King up until now, that people are going to watch these videos and then defense attorneys going to come in and say, who are you going to believe? My client, this police officer or your lying eyes, then it's going to lead to more violence on the street, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that there were no officers convicted last year. If we look at those 13 cases over the last 11 years where officers were convicted, there haven't been any officers convicted of murder or manslaughter for an on-duty shooting since August of 2012. And there were three in 2012. And before that, there were three in 2010, two in 2009, and going back from there. It's really interesting. These cases are uh, taking a long time to get through the courts. Even when you think there's a case that is, a slam dunk for the prosecutors, it doesn't always work out that way. And remember, prosecutors don't bring cases they don't think they can win. They just don't do it.
1: Hmm. I, I'm, I, it's stunning for for me to hear you say that the last conviction was almost four years ago. Yeah. When we are talking about uh, at least a thousand uh, deaths at the hands of police officers per year, are we to then believe, are we to allow ourselves to believe that every that over the last four years, just about that none of these police officers did anything wrong when we've watched the Eric Eric Garner videotape when we've when we've seen other videotapes and we have evidence and testimony of other things like uh, that that go on I mean is that what someone is expecting the populace to believe
0: well you know with
2: with Eric Garner that's a tough one because you know we can argue some of the issues in in that case Clearly, there were mistakes made, but I think the video to point to is the Michael Slager video where he shoots the man in the back. Oh, no question and about then that. Plants the taser. That that is just the most shocking video. It, it, in a way, it surprised me because it was so troubling. Can you tell but me about that
1: plant the taser part? I, I missed that one.
2: Well, what happened was, as you remember, the officer he chased him away from his car. The right. Run from his car. The officer follows, and they come to a point where the officer catches up with him, and the guy takes off running. The officer very casually. Pulls out his uh, pistol and shoots him in the back right and then the officer jogs up to the man where he's fallen down in that field and immediately runs back to where he had been standing where he shot from and picks up his taser off the ground and runs and plants it next to the man in other words the electronic drop-gun if you will you know a drop gun we used to talk about drop guns where an officer yeah. would have a throwaway weapon they put down in these types of situations what was his
1: argument that that this this victim had stolen this taser and he felt threatened
2: that's what he wrote in his initial report. And as soon as the police chief saw that, prosecutors saw it, they knew that wasn't what happened at all. And, he, and they took action immediately.
1: Well, I mean, that's to their credit. But as you said, now he's he's, he's out on bail and, and we'll wait to see I- exactly what happens.
2: Well, you know what? With With him being out on bail, I'm going to make a prediction. I've seen this with some other cases with other types of crimes by police officers that are horrendous, like rapes and things like that. Police officers are not used to taking orders. They're used to telling people what to do. And what I've seen in these types of cases. And when you have an officer who's now on home detention, probably with an electronic monitor on him, not able to go out, he's going to violate the terms of his bail within a few months. Hmm. Mark my words, he'll be back in jail before trial.
1: Uh, you know, as soon as it happens, you know, I'm going to be placing a call to Bowling Green, Ohio.
2: Well, it'll happen.
1: You are also a man, not only who researches academically these issues as a matter of criminal justice, you, you have a law degree as well. What kind of apparatus can be put in place so that That the investigation of these officers is lifted above the normal run of the mill investigation, lifted above uh, the sham of a grand jury investigation and lifted above the internal affairs investigation and lifted above an apparatus where police officers are investigating police officers. What can we do?
2: Well, you know, the weird thing about grand jury proceedings in these types of cases, I think that it's actually the flip side here. I think what's happening with grand juries is that for once, they're demanding showing of probable cause by the prosecutors, and they're actually doing their job. I think that in most cases, grand juries just rubber stamp whatever a prosecutor wants. My point, yeah. It doesn't look like they're they're doing that in, in these situations. But I think to answer your question more directly, I think one of the things that can be done is in many places around around the country, we still have the employing agency of the officer who shot and killed somebody investigating these incidents in-house, not referring it to an outside agency. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake for many reasons. First of all, it's the appearance of an impropriety. It's an appearance that there's a conflict of interest Mm -hmm. right out of the gate. We're not trusting of it, and we shouldn't be. So I think one thing that needs to happen is that agencies cannot investigate these types of instances with their own employees. They need to farm it out. In Pennsylvania, I don't know exactly what that would mean. If it would mean that the investigators from the district attorney's office, would it mean the county sheriff? probably not in Pennsylvania the way the sheriffs are used under the law in Pennsylvania. I mean, the the state police, you know, how would that work? Something needs to be done in that regard. That's the first thing that needs to be done. That's starting to happen in a few states across the country where they're making that the requirement that outside agencies, whether it's the state attorney general's office, you know, that type of thing, have somebody else come in because there at least there's a suggestion that they don't have a dog in the fight and maybe they'll present the case to the grand jury without being so concerned about a winner or a loss or an indictment or not, but just you know a right. more straightforward way. I gotta believe that when we have a thousand to twelve hundred people being killed a year by police officers, and at least a thousand of those are shootings, i got to believe that more than 5 or 12 or 18, you know, weren't
1: justified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's what I'm thinking. One of the reasons why I asked that question is because I know that, that many uh, individuals who have been protesting around the country are saying that it's time for the Justice Department to create an apparatus that would swing into, uh, into position as soon as there is a police um, shooting or a citizen killed by a policeman, not necessarily suggesting that there's guilt, but just as a matter of protocol.
2: Yeah, somebody smarter than me is going to have to figure out the legality of that with the federal government. But, you know, they do it with bank robberies. They say that it somehow involves interstate commerce, so the FBI you know long time had the responsibility of leading investigation on bank right. robbery so so i agree this may be to the point where we need to have it dealt with it at the federal level uh,
1: final uh, considerations are are centered in the fact that here in the city of philadelphia uh, a very brave officer while simply carrying out the business of of policing the community encounters a man who approaches him with an upraised gun fires the entire magazine into his car and only by the grace of god and and a miracle that that still demands some uh, revisiting. He escapes death. Uh, somehow or another, this man only gets shot several times in the arm and is able to come out and fire his own gun at the fleeing felon. And people are feeling very sympathetic, of course, toward police officers and saying, see what officers go through. And now, of course, they are inclined to be a little bit more uh, lenient, I guess, in considering what happens when police officers meet citizens. How do we balance these two things so that we're able to say, on one hand, hey, look, we support our police officers who are doing the right things. And on the other hand, that that even police officers have to be investigated uh, whenever something happens, at leads in a death.
2: Well, I think the reasonable people can act with common sense, and you have to sort of separate these issues out. I don't think we can look at all these cases and, and, and lump them all together. You know, police officers across the country every day face the possibility of being ambushed, and I don't know how you could get away. What tactically could that officer have done differently? I don't think anything. And none of us want to see police officers uh, gunned down in the streets of, of West Philly or anywhere else. You know, that's just a, a, a terrible thing, and it's horrible to look at it on video. And thank God we had the video. There, by the way,
1: absolutely. Yeah, have the
2: video, we wouldn't know what the story was.
1: You're absolutely right, Dr. Philip Stinson. First of all, uh, we we miss you here in the city of Philadelphia, but we're glad that you are able to help to shape the minds of students over at Bowling Green State University. Thank you so much for your time, sir, and we look forward to talking to you again as soon. Excellent, thanks, Nick. It's always a pleasure, sir.
0: That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast. The interview originally aired live on WURD Radio AM 900 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on the evening of January 14, 2016. The audio recording was produced by Eric Nixon for the Nick Taliaferro Show. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Support was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. This project was previously supported by award number 2011 IJCX24, awarded by the National Institute of Justice at the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are mine alone and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash police integrity lost.